Hello, and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elite's very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be interviewing business owners and individuals who have made their mark in their respective industries. Jennifer Abrams is the founder of the Abrams and Mayo Law Firm, a group of board-certified divorce attorneys in Las Vegas, Nevada. She started our firm 20 years ago with two people. It has grown to become an enterprise and has become one of the leading divorce and matrimonial law firms in the Las Vegas metropolitan area. In addition to being a business owner, her credentials include board certification from the State Bar of Nevada as a family law specialist and a fellow of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. On this week's episode of Industry Elites, we have the founder of the Abrams and Mayo Law Firm, Jennifer Abrams, on with us today. Thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you. And yourself? Doing fabulous. Still living the virtual world, but in the world of podcasts, that works well for us. (laughs) So just to start us off with um, a question, obviously, for yourself, what made you pursue a career in law and did you always want to be a lawyer? Yes. I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was about three or four years old. Um, The perceived unfairness of a young child um, with two siblings led me to very much want to um, pursue justice. And uh, I think it was about when I was maybe three or four. I don't remember this personally, but I was told by my parents that um, I asked my mother to leave my room and threatened to sue her. <laughs> so it, it's definitely been something that's been ingrained since a very young age. Awesome. Is that something that throughout your schooling like that you knew 110% you wanted to get into law? Or was it just, I would really like to enjoy that. I hope it kind of gets there, but I'm interested in other industries as well. You know, I've always been interested in law. Um, There were a few times during my uh, elementary school, high school, where I thought about maybe pursuing something else or at least looking into it. Um, I looked into potentially something in the medical field, um, but it just didn't interest me as much as the law interested me. Um, I always have also been interested in accounting and financial matters. And so Um, My undergraduate degree is in business administration with um, emphasis on accounting theory and practice. But yeah, I always knew I wanted to go to law school and chose my undergraduate degree with the intention of uh, going to law school afterwards. Amazing. So was it difficult for you to determine which area of law you wanted to specialize in or did did you have a like a clear distinction from the beginning. You wanted to practice where you are right now. Yeah, that that actually um, is not something that was super clear to me. I knew I wanted to pursue a a career in the law, but I actually started out when I was in law school, I was clerking at uh, a couple of different, well, actually four different law firms. Um, And so I handled everything from constitutional law to Um, educational issues. We did some pharmaceutical defense work. Um, There was some uh, products liability. I mean, I I was writing briefs, appellate briefs and things like that and doing a lot of research. Um, And I found all of those things interesting. When I started my practice, 
I started doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I was exploring. But when I represented um, parties in family law cases, that's where I really saw a big difference um, in the type of work I was doing, in the interactions that I was having with my clients, in the immediate impact and uh, effect I was able to have on this family that I was working with. And so it was pretty early when I started my, my own practice. It was pretty early on that I decided to focus just on family cases because I felt that, you know, there was a need. You know, people need to be protected from themselves, um, certainly need to be protected from making mistakes, from their spouse making mistakes that could have long-term effects. And so that's where I really found a lot of enjoyment doing uh, legal work because it's it's not only very personal with the client, you not only have established a good relationship with the client, but there's also a good amount of litigation involved. So you get a little bit of everything, you know? So we, we kind of touch in all kinds of other areas of the law as well. And so it's, you know, it's really a comfortable place. And it was for me pretty immediately when I was handling family cases. Um, one question, and forgive my ignorance on this, is how do you determine what industry you want to get into when you're in law school? Like, is there, do they teach you generally? And then there's almost, I guess, like a list of all the areas and you can pursue that. Like, how does that work? So there's core classes that need to be completed in order to graduate. And then we have a certain number of electives. Um, and you can choose your elective in any area that's offered at the law school for, not every law school is going to have emphasis, um, the same emphasis as others. For example, I spent um, a year as a visiting student at Tulane University in Louisiana. They had a very strong admiralty uh, law section because obviously of where their location is um, in New Orleans. You're not going to find the same thing at, you know, say, uh, Pepperdine or, um, you know, any of the Midwest schools. So it, the, the emphasis of the school kind of depends on, you know, their location and, and the area that they're in and the, the types of law that they practice in those areas. But, you know, you can take, um, elective classes and there's also like when you do moot court, sometimes you'll pick different areas of law. That's really more focused on skill, but there is some research and, and those types of things. Um, and really where you get your experience and, and decide what, what you want to do or what area you want to practice in is when you clerk. Um, between year one and year two, you know, during the summer and between year two and three, um, a lot of law students will spend the summer clerking at different law firms, maybe three or four weeks at a time. And, you know, for example, if you clerk at a family law firm, you get to attend court hearings and write briefs and do research and meet with clients, um, shadow the lawyers and kind of get a feel for what it's like, almost like rotations for medical students where they, you know, spend a couple months in ophthalmology, a couple months in cardiology, and then OB-GYN or whatever. 
exploring the different areas and deciding what they like. Um, you know, we kind of do that when we clerk uh, or when law students clerk at these different firms. You know, you generally pick something that you have some level of interest in, but you know, you, you get experience and decide whether it's something you're interested in doing or not. I personally didn't have family law experience in any of the firms that I worked at, but I did volunteer when I was a law student. They had this program where law students could represent um, like pro bono clients. We would get uh, special permission to make uh, court appearances or to represent clients in court so long as we had like a supervising attorney or someone who volunteered to mentor and so I did take some family law cases in addition to my summer clerkship. Um, I volunteered to do that. I also was volunteering to do uh, prepare tax returns for people. You know, I try to get my hands in and get as much experience as I could. Um, and there's a lot of resources that are available for anyone who wants to get that kind of experience. Was there a certain level of intimidation you had entering like the field of law? Intimidation? No, I was super excited about it. Um, I thought, you know, this is something I want to learn. This is something I want to do. Um, and I was very excited about, um, doing it. I don't think there was, uh, even a moment of, of hesitation on my part. So as you're stationed in Las Vegas, um, I feel for those who live outside, can't really imagine normal life in Vegas. So what does a typical day look like for you as a lawyer and, um, I guess what I'm asking is how is that different from any other state? Like, do you find that there's more, um, more cases, more active, or is it way more calmer than we would kind of expect? You know, one of my colleagues um, dis describes it as follows. He always says, practicing family law in Las Vegas is just like practicing family law anywhere else, but more so. There's a lot of traffic here. I mean, the requirements... For a divorce in um, Las Vegas are not very stringent. It requires six weeks of physical presence and incompatibility. Uh, there are some other jurisdictional issues, but we actually had a recent case come out from the Nevada Supreme Court that says there doesn't even have to be an intent to reside here for an indefinite period of time. You just have to physically be here for six weeks. So in some states where the jurisdictional requirement would be, say, six months before you could file for divorce, um, people can come and spend six weeks here and file for divorce. Uh, like I said, we've got other issues of personal jurisdiction and subject matter jurisdiction, but for a status divorce that um, would meet the requirements. P I mean, we get tons of calls. We never can take as many people as would like to hire us. Um, and so we refer out to other law firms as well. But there's, you know, a huge demand for uh, for divorce divorces here. And sometimes we have the same client come back several times for multiple divorces. So, so it is very busy. I mean, my guess is it's pretty similar in other places, but just because of the population and because of the um, number of people who move to Vegas and move out and, uh, you know, it's it's a fairly large um, population that we do see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of divorces. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of cases. And plus, we probably see um, some more interesting 
um, facts patterns just because of it being Las Vegas. Definitely could believe that to be true. That's for sure. Yeah. So if someone were to ask you why you went out to start your own firm, what would you say? And then a follow-up to that, what are some benefits as well as some hurdles that you've found and had to overcome opening up your own firm? Well, the the first part of the question, um, why I started my own firm is because I was a horrible employee. <laughs> <laughs> I um, prioritized my family. I prioritized my children when they were, you know, young. And that's when I was starting off and I needed to operate to the, uh, to the beat of my own harmonica, so to speak. Um, and so the law firm that we've got now that I've got now, I've got two partners, um, the, the employees at my office have, you know, young children and I always prioritize, we don't have a nine to five or eight to five schedule. The, the goal is to, to get things done, to get them done right, to get them done diligently. But when it's done, uh, doesn't matter. I mean, we don't really have office hours because I know that people want to go to their children's plays, be the person to take their child to the doctor or to the orthodontist or to be there um, with them for events or whatever. And so the the our law firm is very different than your traditional law firm in many ways, many ways. But one of them is not having set office hours. We just don't do that because I, I recognize that people have lives and I don't want anyone to feel like they're missing out on their children's activities or not there for their kids um, or personal things that need to get done. Um, I don't even require that everybody comes into the office. I mean, we're doing everything remotely now with court hearings anyway. So in a lot of ways, the firm is different and it's very, we're very family oriented. Um, so you mentioned uh, you guys are still doing court hearings remote. Um, here, I know that is something that has been lifted. Uh, one of my good friends is a lawyer, so I do have the inside scoop on that. Um, I was just kind of wondering, do, did they tell you kind of when you guys are going to go back to in-person court then? Or uh, is that going to be something that is going to be almost as an option going forward, do you think? You know, if I had my wish, we'd never go back to in-person <laughs> court hearings because it is so much more efficient mm -hmm. for the lawyers and for the litigants to be able to make remote uh, appearances. And so, for example, um, it used to be that we'd go to court, you know, it takes 20, 30 minutes to get there. Um, parking was a real big problem at the courthouse. They were actually looking to um, build a parking structure to alleviate some of the, the parking congestion. And uh, because of some soils report that, reports that came back, they weren't able to, to accomplish that. So people were having to park, you know, pretty far away and lug with them big files and paperwork and kids and, you know, all kinds of things. So it was, it was a little bit of a mess. Um, and sometimes we get to court and if the judge was running behind, you know, because some hearings do take longer than others, uh, which is understandable, 
But sometimes we'd be sitting in the hallway waiting an hour or an hour and a half before our case got called and we didn't really have the ability to work on other things. So it was a super inefficient process. And not only because of that, but they the courts will schedule four hearings for the same time. So like the nine o'clock hour, we'll have four hearings scheduled instead of staggering them. Um, and so you, you'd necessarily have three cases waiting to be heard while the first one is being heard. So it's very inefficient. Um, the way that we do it now with the Blue Jeans application is we log in, we can put it ourselves on mute and turn off our camera and work on other cases until the case is called. We don't have clients missing work as much and we don't have to you know, take a tremendous amount of time out of the day to travel and to wait while we're waiting. We, like I said, we can work on other cases and that way the client is not being charged for uh, our time to sit around and wait for a case. To be oh, done. that's true. So yeah, I'm sure the, the travel time is probably half the battle on that. Like so many other jobs, I can imagine that just being like a big relief. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's other benefits as well. When you're standing in a courtroom, you can't see every person's face simultaneously gotcha. because you, yeah. you don't have eyes on all sides of your head. But when everyone is on the screen, you know, you can see if someone is wanting to say something or if, you know, the judge is heard enough, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can see that expression on their face. The other thing is, is you've got your entire file at your fingertips because, you know, when I'm sitting at my desk, I've got everything accessible to me, which is not always the case and not always at the same speed um, that would be available to me if I was physically at the courthouse. So there's tremendous benefits. I mean, some trials, I can understand why those would be done in person. Uh, sometimes you just need to, there's enough exhibits, there's enough experts, the, it, the case is complicated enough where um, an in-person trial might be warranted, but even trials, I mean, I really like to do those uh, by blue jeans as well. I just find it, like I said, it's a lot more efficient. Definitely. I'm, that's why I feel like technology definitely plays a part in helping to get everybody on track when it came to COVID as well. Because I know so many others, so many workplaces who very much weren't remote, especially in the beginning, it took a lot of adjusting. So I'm sure it's helpful when you have these resources, or like you said, we're already partially remotely working remotely, sorry, as a business. So just these little added features for technology essentially just made you guys run even smoother and your like daily tasks just get completed that much quicker and probably still having some sanity left at the end of the day, more so than the original way. <laughs> yeah. I love, I, like I said, I absolutely love being able to practice law, um, using uh, audiovisual equipment. I think it's great. You know, there was one case I had where I actually was able to pick up on the litigant on the other side signaling a witness not to testify to something only because everybody was on the, the screen. And so that's not something I would have necessarily picked up. If I was looking at the witness in the witness stand, I wouldn't be able to see what my what the litigant on the other side 
Definitely. was doing. But because we had this um, on video, I was able to see that. And when there was a question as to whether that actually occurred, we actually could rewind, go back and review that that portion of the video. So I think it's wonderful. I really do. It's efficient. It's better for the clients. They, they don't spend as much money on wasted time. It's better for the lawyers because we can be more efficient and do better work for our clients and not charge them for travel time and for wait time and those types of things. And I think that, um, uh, you know, there's certain efficiencies that, for example, if um, we want to show exhibits, I don't have to wait for everybody to turn to the same page in their book. I put it up on the screen. Everybody can see the same exhibit at the same time. I know where it is, so I can get it up there really quick. But sometimes in trial, we have to wait because the witness is looking in the wrong book and they've got to flip pages and they're not sure how bait stamp numbers work. They're looking at page numbers. And so sometimes we have delays that, you know, over a few minutes here, a few minutes there, over an eight-hour day will will eat up a good amount of time. And that's actually another thing is I think it's better for the environment. Um, sometimes we have tons of exhibits, I mean, thousands of pages of exhibits that we use at trial. Uh, and so we've got to make five exhibit books, one for the clerk, one for the judge, one for the plaintiff, one for the defendant, and one for the witness. And that's a lot of paper. But when we do uh, the trial by video conference, we email the exhibits. They're all stored electronically. And like I said, I just pull them up on the screen. We don't have to spend the time or the money or waste the ink and paper to create all these exhibit books. I, like I said, I, there's a lot of really good reasons why I think we should keep the um, audiovisual means of of attending hearings and trials as much as possible. So I realize you can't get into case details, but I was wondering if you could tell us what are kind of some typical situations or, or cases that come across your desk, and if there's any clients you won't take on? Typical... <laughs> I don't view any case as typical. Every, I mean, that's not fair to say. We do have certain issues that come up again and again. I mean, obviously, you've got uh, custody, you've got alimony, you've got child support, um, division of assets, what is separate property, what is community property, was separate property transmuted, those types of things, business valuations, what is the business worth? Is there double dipping between alimony and uh, valuing the business? I mean, there's a lot of things that we see again and again and again. So on the one hand, uh, there's there's really not a whole lot that's new, but I do view every case as unique. I do view every case with a you know with a fresh set of eyes. I don't assume that I know anything about. Um, you know, what the family dynamics are or what's going on or what the goals of, of a client are. So in it, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy. I mean, on the one hand, every case is very similar. And on in another way, in another sense, every case is completely unique. And that it keeps it interesting for sure. 
And I'm sorry, I don't remember what the second part of your oh, question sorry. was. Oh, sorry. Is there any clients you won't take on? You know, that's an interesting question. Generally speaking, when I when someone calls the office, I don't view it as a phone call where I'm trying to sell something or I'm trying to solicit a mm-hmm. client. When somebody calls me, I really listen to what it is they're saying and I try to direct them in the direction that I think would be most beneficial for them. In other words, if this was me, what would I want or what would I need? Or if this was my close friend or my close relative, like I really try to be helpful in answering the concern and the question and achieving the goal that I'm hearing from the client. So, or the potential client at that point. Um, And so it's not a question of, this is what we can do for you and this is how much we charge, but it's more, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What are the immediate issues? What, you know, and a lot of times I'll say, you know, there's an attorney or there are several attorneys who are maybe have lower hourly rates than we do or who do more of this particular, like if, especially if it's military retirement um, issues involved, you know, there are some firms that handle that more than other firms. We generally don't do a lot of um, military retirement or pension work. Um, and so I'll tell them, you know, I think you get better a better bang for your buck going to any one of these three or four law firms or, um, you know, there's it, it really just depends. But I really do try to direct people to where I think they would be best off even if it's a case I could handle, if I think, you know, someone else would be able to handle this particular issue better because they deal with, say, military pension more than we do, or they deal with adoptions or or something else more than we do, I'll, I'll refer them out. Or I'll I, sometimes I give them the option. I say, you know, we do handle this kind of stuff, but um, I'd like you to call, make a few other phone calls as well. So it's not really that we don't take clients or we don't take cases. I just like to, to see people in, in the right place, you know, going in the right direction or at least giving them the information where they can make those decisions for themselves. As you said, you have such an influx of people. So I'm sure if you can direct people accordingly, it probably makes things a bit easier. So as you know, and I will tell you that there are some times where I get cases that are really messy or hairy or you know, very high asset, very complex uh, financial cases. And that's the kind of stuff I really mm-hmm. like. Um, I like those those types of challenges. I like interesting legal issues. I mean, those are ones where I say to myself, you know, I could do a really good job on this. If I, if I had to say one type of case, my personal pet peeve that I'm not crazy about, um, and I generally avoid, are people calling to try to reduce their child support. Oh my goodness. That is just not something that particularly interests me. You know, I, I'm just a sucker for kids. Um, so if I had to, if I had to answer the question with one type of case, I really, that really doesn't interest me at all. It would be that. (laughs) Very true. So as you've seen, um, as you mentioned, quite a few different cases and in Las Vegas, maybe there's a bit more influx on divorces. As you said, the, the terms for divorce in Las Vegas are a little bit more lenient than other states. 
But do you think that as a society, people are believing more marriage or less in terms of the correlation of divorce rates? Well, I mean, we do, we do have, look, I've been practicing for more than 20 years. I probably see more, we probably do more prenuptial agreements now than we did at the beginning. Now, whether that's because I've been around longer and, and people know me and refer to me and, and my name is out there, or whether it's because more people are opting for prenuptial agreements because they recognize the, um, the fact that, you know, until death to us part doesn't always mean exactly that. Um, hard to tell. But I do see a lot of, you know, a lot of people on their second or third marriage and they they do look for prenuptial agreements, even people in their first marriage. I also am seeing a lot of people who are not getting married for the first time until, uh, you know, a little bit later in life. So hard to tell, hard to tell exactly what the causes are of those things. Uh, so as we come to the end of our podcast, is there anything here that um, we didn't mention or cover that you would like to tell our listeners? Not that I could think of. Oh, that makes it easy. <laughs> no worries. We got it all out. <laughs> We're happy that you could join us on the podcast today and to give us a little bit more insight on being your own female business owner and also a lawyer for so many years practicing and loads of experience. So we appreciate your insight on that. And we're happy to have you join us today. So thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.